Hi folks, Chocolate Yoda here, spelled Y-O-D-D-A-H, because film studios are litigious. And today is the premiere of Chocolate Yoda Live. First episode, we're, uh, we're, I'm going to do this uh, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, live. Don't know how long I'll go. Maybe an hour, maybe way, way, way less. We'll see. All right, so today what I wanted to talk about is a love story. And it's a love story between me and my second ex-wife. Her name is Janine. And I know this already sounds strange. What do you mean love story and ex-wife? That doesn't make any sense. But I think by the end of this, it will make sense. Now, today is uh, Monday, June 5th, 2023. And this love story starts in June of 1999. Now, part of this love story actually starts in 1994 when Forrest Gump came out, right? And here's how Forrest Gump ties into this. The, uh, the theme of the film, as far as I can tell, is what happens when you say yes to life. Why do I think that? Well, throughout the film, every time someone tells Forrest to do something or asks him to do something or even suggests that he does something, his immediate answer without any thinking is okay. You know, run Forrest, okay. You want to open a shrimping business with me, Forrest, okay. Whatever it was, he just did it without thinking. He said yes, right? And if you recall the film, or if you haven't seen it, you know, uh, his life is amazing. Uh, he goes through all these amazing experiences, meets, you know, big entertainers, presidents, all this stuff, right? Becomes a star athlete, becomes an influencer, uh, all these things. And none of it through his own intention. It's all just saying yes to life. All right. So fast forward, 1999, my best friend, Kathy, who is my only female friend, my only real female friend. I refer to her as my unicorn because she's the only female friend that I have that I haven't had sex with. All right. And that's not a joke. That's true. <laughs> um, and I love Kathy. She's amazing. I've known her for more than 30 years now, I think. So she calls me up one day and she says, I've got a woman that I want you to meet. Something like that. There's a woman I think you should meet. Something along those lines. And I'm not making this up. My lips were forming a no. I started leaning forward slightly and, you know, put my tongue up to the roof of my mouth just to start saying no. But I stopped myself because of Forrest Gump. And I said, sure. 
Okay. And I took down Janine's number. I spelled her name wrong on the note. Little, not a note. It was a tiny little ripped off piece of paper that I kept in my wallet for a long time. I don't think I have it anymore, but um, her name is spelled J-A-N-I-N, Janine. And I wrote, you know, J-E-A-N-I-N, something like that, Janine. Which I would think Janine Triplehorn spells it. And maybe Janine Garafalo also. But anyway, uh, there I was with this new number and a promise to my friend Kathy, because if I say yes, that's a promise to do something. And I am many things, but the one thing I am not is someone who breaks my word. So, um, I don't think it was that day. I, I think I waited till the next day and I called Janine and, um, you know, this was near the end of June, sort of maybe the middle to the end. And we agreed to meet July 1st and, you know, this was a blind date. I had spoken to her maybe two or three times before we met. Not particularly long conversations, but she seemed pleasant. I was like, all right, cool. Let me do this. And what I thought to myself when I was getting ready for this date, sort of reluctantly, because I was like, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, <laughs> and you know, the short answer was, well, I said I was going to do it, so I'm going to do it. So, we meet at this uh, place on Long Island. And I got there first. I was standing outside the place. And she pulls up. I thought, oh, she's, she's attractive enough. Beautiful hair. Nice smile. The whole thing. And we wound up talking for about three hours. And it was really easy, really fun. We ate a little bit, you know, it was like a coffee slash cafe type place, which might mean the same thing. Isn't cafe another word for coffee? I don't know, whatever. There's food and beverages, um, and I like both. So the date ends and I'm walking her to her car. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't believe this. I'm going to ask her out again. And I, in front of her, I put my hands on my face like, and then I said, I'd love to see you again, you know? So fast forward from there, we get married in 2001. And in 2010, I asked her for a divorce. She was not happy about that. And we went through a lot of turmoil and bitterness, and uh, it was not uh, a pretty picture for a while. So fast forward again to 2012. I uh, go to a, an eye doctor, which was just coincidence because I, it was time for new glasses. Now, I have been having symptoms at that time for a while, probably over a year. 
But I did the guy thing. I just ignored the symptoms. But finally, they got bad enough. Uh, it got to the point where I was getting headaches very frequently. And I'm someone who didn't get headaches. Like, it was very rare for me to get a headache. So the fact that I was getting them almost daily now was troubling. And I, uh, I, I had moved down to Florida. I thought it was going to be temporary. The goal was three months. And I moved to Tampa to uh, be with my mother because she was having some health issues. And she had asked me to come down. And, of course, I did. And right, right as I was driving there, I got a new symptom. While I was on the road, driving 55 <clears throat> or so miles per hour, um, suddenly I was getting tunnel vision. And it had, it had happened a couple times before that, but never while I was driving. It was always while I was just sitting there watching TV. Which, of course, you know, the fact that I ignored that was really dumb in retrospect. I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was. I thought it was encephalitis, which it turns out presents very similarly to the thing that I had. And so there I am on the road getting tunnel vision, freaking out, because it was like uh, my, my vision was like re reduced down to a pinprick, you know. And while you're driving, that is very inconvenient. So I, um, I get to uh, my mom's and I uh, think to myself, well, I need to, I need to get some rest, see if that'll fix it. Cause I was exhausted all the time also. And, you know, I might as well make a doctor appointment and hey, it's time to get new glasses. So I'll. I'll make an eye uh, appointment as well. Now, when I got to the doctor, unfortunately, the doctor wasn't there that day. So it was his head nurse. I think she was an RN. She did the exam. And when I explained to her everything that was going on, she didn't know what to make of it. She didn't know what to do. And basically, she sent me off to die. She didn't do that on purpose. But that is effectively what happened. Um, I think a doctor would have said, let's run some tests. Nothing against nurses. I love nurses. But this particular nurse, unfortunately, didn't know enough to help me. So I think it was maybe a week later that uh, I had my eye exam. And again, it was just a, a routine exam. Um, although I did schedule it with an ophthalmologist. Um, so, you know, we could be thorough and, um, the ophthalmologist, uh, staff, staff of nurses, uh, ran a bunch of different tests. Um, and when I was done, they sat me in a room and enter the doctor. And I had never met him before. This was my first time meeting him. He said, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And you have a potentially fatal brain swelling. And you should go to the hospital right now. Okay. Well, that got my attention. And 
I immediately switch into what I call solution mode. Whenever I'm presented with a problem, I found that the best way to address whatever situation I'm in is to basically become a robot. Eliminate all emotion to whatever extent I can so that I avoid panicking and I avoid getting swept up in a wave of emotion and acting irrationally and just kind of be in my intellect as much as possible and just ask, what do I do next? All right. So the first thing I did was ask if my mother could come in so the doctor could tell her what he just told me. And this was based on the relationship that I had with my mother and knowing that she really wouldn't have heard this coming from me. And it would have been a much longer conversation than I was willing to partake in in that moment. And my mother was with me because we knew that they were going to dilate my eyes and that she would have to drive. And she was still driving at the time. And so that was actually good fortune. Um, he told her she got upset, but followed the instructions. We got in the car and it was about a 15 minute drive. And on the way I composed an email to my second ex-wife and the email was um, motivated by the fact that I thought I was going to die. And that was my mindset. I mean, hey, I was just told that I have a potentially fatal brain swelling. So the word fatal really gets your attention, does a lot of heavy lifting, right? So in my mindset, I was just feeling negative and depressed. And I just assumed that I was going to die. And I didn't say that specifically in the email, but I just told her, hey, this is what the doctor just told me. And, um, you know, I just want you to know a couple of things and I expressed my love for her and that kind of stuff and sent it and then went on about my business, which was getting to the hospital, explaining what I had to do. And, and the rest of the ride, I was emotional. I cried a little bit and I said to my mother, you know what, if this is it, I've had an amazing life. And I had, um, I've, I've done some cool stuff and I really did genuinely feel that my life had been amazing. I didn't want to go. I was 47 years old, um, just a few weeks before my 48th birthday, but I, uh, I was okay with the idea that this was the end. So we get to the hospital and then solution mode kicks in all over again, which is, all right, let's walk to the desk. Let's tell them what the eye doctor told you and we'll see what happens from there. And then it's like, all right, get in this wheelchair. Let's go to these rooms to start some tests. And a couple hours later, they were like, yep, you have a brain tumor. It's uh, moved your brain over almost a half inch and um, it will kill you if it keeps going, you know, because it would have been one of those things where in mid sentence, I just would have dropped dead because my brainstem would have snapped off. And the doctor, the, the surgeon who was there 
uh, came to me and said, I'm about to go on vacation, but even though normally I would just have you wait until I come back to do this, I don't think we have that kind of time. So another doctor will do this. And the following day, so this was April 23rd. So April 24th, I had uh, the first of two surgeries. Um, the first one was to cut off blood flow to the tumor. So they essentially, I think, cauterized some blood vessels because it was sitting between my skull and my brain, which was another thing that the doctor had mentioned. He said, if I had a tumor, this is the one I'd want to have. Strange idea, but okay, makes sense. And the second surgery was scheduled for the following day, which they popped the top and scooped it out. But before that part, uh, the following day, Janine arrived in Tampa. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but of all the stories I've ever heard of an ex-wife flying to be by her ex-husband's bedside after two years of a very vitriolic divorce, uh, this is the only one, okay? I've never heard a story like this before. And she was by my side, and she stayed for a while. And, uh, she helped tremendously. You know, my mother was a mess. You know, she, she was, uh, 80 years old just a few months later and, you know, not in terrible health, but not in great health. Um, as I said, I, I flew down there because of her health issues. So, you know, she was really it was going to be hard, if if not impossible, for her to help me in my recovery. But Janine did. You know, in the very beginning, um, I was really, really messed up. I mean, not as bad as I could have been. Uh, they told me the laundry list of things that could happen as a result of this surgery, because it's not unusual uh, in a brain tumor surgery to have people, you know, lose sight, lose hearing, lose speech, lose small motor control, large motor control, uh, just a, a lot of things uh, that are really troublesome can happen. And they told me I was going to be in the hospital for about two or three weeks with rehab. They were wrong about that part. I actually uh, left the hospital five days after surgery. I have no specific explanation for that. I think that the fact that I had been a vegetarian since 1987 might have contributed to that, but I have no proof of that. That's just an assumption that I have. So anyway, um, after this point, um, Janine went back to New York and, you know, we decided that, uh, six months later she would come back or was it six months? Actually, it was about eight months, I think, something like that. Um, we thought she would come back and move in, and we would give it another shot. Uh, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, 
the fact is, is that we love each other. And I feel very confident speaking for her in this case because she has expressed this uh, publicly as well. She's She's been a guest on my podcast a couple times, maybe three times, actually. So uh, we love each other very much. We just don't like each other enough to live with each other. But at this point now, 24 years later, uh, she is one of my best friends. Can't imagine life without her. You know, this is the love story of my life. It's uh, the greatest love story that I've ever experienced. And um, she, along with the other small hands, uh, what am I trying to say? Small handful of uh, people that I consider friends uh, are the only reason that I'm still here. They are the only reason I'm here because they have helped me through every possible permutation of bad time that you can imagine. Because you know how, uh, you know, the old saying is talk is cheap, right? People say, oh, yeah, we're buddies, we're friends, we're solid, I'll do anything for you, etc., etc. And then, you know, when something actually happens, they're nowhere to be found. But my friends have proven that they will support me through anything and in any way. Uh, but Janine specifically, you know, this, this is the greatest expression and example of love that I've ever had in my life. She taught me more about love than anyone or anything. Um, other than my son, my son taught me a different kind of love and a unique kind of love. But as far as love between two adults that are not related, um, Janine taught me more about that than anyone. And, you know, I'm beyond fortunate. I'm, uh, I'm grateful that I have her in my life. Um, she's a hoot. We make each other laugh all the time. She's my biggest fan for the podcast. Um, and genuinely just the sweetest person I've ever known. I still don't like her. <laughs> I always have to throw that in. <laughs> but I'll love her forever. So, Janine, I know you'll probably be watching this. So, love you. Talk to you soon. And I guess that's it for now. That wraps up the premiere episode of Chocolate Yoda Live, brought to you by the Persistent Rumor Podcast. All right. Peace, love, and granola. Talk to you soon. Ah.